a science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're presenting stories about family and the ways in which science intersects with those relationships. Our first story is from Sonia Zarate. It was recorded in August 2019 at Beer Baron Tavern in Washington, D.C. The theme that night was Lost and Found. So I know I stand between you and whatever else you're going to do tonight, so I'll get started. So it's the first year of my graduate program, and I am, in addition to doing research, taking an advanced cell biology course and a couple of different research seminars. I am going to leave the lab early that day because I'm headed to a Rage Against the Machine concert with my husband in LA. That's right. So growing up, I was, you know, there was two, two different things that kids could do in my sleepy little town. They could either go to these backyard keggers or they could go to concerts. And I belonged to the group that went to those rock concerts. And so it's, it was such a relief for me then, and, and it was supposed to be a release for me now. Um, but I, I questioned whether it, it would be. You see, as a parent of a seven-year-old daughter, um, I always had to manage my research and everything else that I had to do between those daycare hours. And so this outing was going to cut into those hours, and I wasn't sure how I felt about that. So I had talked to my father, and he had agreed to watch her. And when I called to him the previous night, he let me know that his wife would be picking up my daughter from school as opposed to the after-school care. I knew my daughter was going to be super excited because even though she liked her after-school care, she liked her grandparents so much more better. And so um, I reminded him, and yeah, he was going to pick her up. And so the plan was that my husband was going to pick me up at the lab and that I was supposed to leave my rock concert outfit in his car. Truth be told, if he was not out in that parking lot waiting for me, I would have set up another PCR reaction. He would have been waiting for me. So we take off, and I wait until it gets a little bit dark to change out of my frumpy lab outfit and into my cool rock concert outfit for this rage show. And at that time, my my cell phone rings, and I look over and I recognize the number. I casually mentioned to my husband, leave it to my dad to always know when I'm up to no good, like changing outfits in cars. So I answer the phone, I say, hey dad. And his response to me was, Sonia, stay calm. My heart stopped and raced all at once. As it turns out, there had been a car accident and my daughter and his wife had been taken to the hospital. I fought off this feeling of just absolute dread as my husband and I weaved in in and out of traffic. It, It was total rush hour traffic. 
you know, we were weaving in and out of it. And even though we knew it wasn't going to get us there any sooner, I think it, it actually made us feel a little bit better to feel like we were doing something. And so getting to the hospital, these memories are kind of vague for me, but I do recall that my husband dropped me off at the front door. And somehow or another, my dad was there to greet me. I, I must have called him. And as we walked over to where my daughter was, I searched his face. I'm not sure for what. But I braced myself as we walked through the curtain that separated her from the other patients in the emergency room. And she had a gash on her forehead, and there was blood all over her face and on her hands. But otherwise, she looked fine. And so I started breathing again. The scan, it told a different story. On one side of her face, you could see her cheekbone. You could see that it framed her eye orbital. But on the other side of her face, it was completely dark. Her facial bones had completely shattered. And so this evolutionary adaptation to prevent the brain from damage, from blunt force trauma, was just supposed to be a good thing. But as a parent of this beautiful little girl, I had a hard time embracing that idea. And so the next thing I remember, there was a team of surgeons telling me what the plan was, what we needed to do next. And some nurse just seemingly came out of nowhere with forms for me to sign, some, you know, the consent forms. And it was at that moment that I understood the severity of this situation. And it was at that moment that I realized that in order to get through this nightmare, that I was going to have to put my heart into an imaginary jar and handle this situation with my science identity, with my faith in science. And so, the surgery was supposed to last three hours. Nine hours later, the surgeons came out and they told me that there was many more fragments than they had anticipated, but that they had, they had retrieved them all. I remember I had talked to my advisor. She had told me to drop all my courses. And I did drop all those research seminars but I didn't drop that cell biology course. It was my refuge. Reading about cellular mechanisms and the experiments that led to the elucidation of these mechanisms was comforting to me. It made sense, they made sense. Whereas this accident didn't make any sense at all. During that surgery, the surgeons had made an incision across my daughter's head from ear to ear, and they had peeled back her face in order to retrieve those fragments. And thinking about that, you know, uh, you know it was, wow, <laughs> I didn't know that you could do that. But as her parent, that knowledge was absolute agony for me. And so 
Days went by. People came and went. There was a sound of that heart rate monitor. And all the while, I sat next to her holding her little hand, saying to her, I'm still here. She was in an induced coma, and that was the only thing that I could do, was just hold her hand and let her know that I was still there. My husband finally went home after three days, and he came back with clothes for me. And when I opened the backpack to get my clothes, I noticed that he had brought toys for her for when she woke up. It's just incredible what shock can do. For him, I guess he was in denial. And for me, I clung to science like there was no tomorrow. I just needed to do that. And so my daughter had a series of reconstructive surgeries. And in that process, she ended up contracting meningitis. At this point, she was combative to doctors and nurses. She was refusing to eat. She just stopped engaging. And I had this sinking feeling, and the doctor confirmed it. At this point, my daughter had lost the will to live. He had seen this before, and he felt that, you know, what usually helps patients is the return of some normalcy in their lives. And I got that, because that cell biology class that's what that did for me. It gave me some sense of normalcy in this chaos. He told me to take her home. So she went home with the PICC line to administer the cocktail of antibiotics that she needed to treat the meningitis. Four hours later, that PICC line failed. As I was carrying her back into the emergency room, I realized how fragile she was. She was seven years old. And she weighed nothing. It wasn't even an effort for me to carry her back in. And at this point, I was absolutely losing my faith in science. I was so banking on science to save her. And as I walked through those emergency room doors, I was just pushing down these feelings that this could be the last time that she you know, walked in or out of these doors. Thankfully, those four hours made a huge difference. She became motivated. She started eating. And two weeks later, we went home for good. I got a B-plus in that cell biology course. <laughs> <laughs> that, was the, <laughs> that was the lowest grade I got in my, <laughs> my graduate career. But it was worth it. That class saved my life. That class in science really helped me be able to navigate this parental nightmare that I had found myself in. It's been 20 years since that accident. And believe it or not, I just recently realized that I forgot my heart in that jar. I've been navigating life, always waiting for some shoe to drop somewhere. 
Or maybe I just felt that I wasn't going to be strong enough in order to put that thing back in and, and process this event. I feel strong enough now. So I'm taking my heart back. Thank you. That was Sonia Zarate. Sonia is a mother and grandmother, a Dodgers fan, a trained plant molecular biologist, and a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion in STEM. As president of SACNIS, the Society for the Advancement of Chicanos, Hispanics, and Native Americans in Science, and as a program officer for the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, Sonia is living the dream at the intersection of STEM and culture. When she's not working to make the scientific enterprise excellent by making it more inclusive, she enjoys traveling, running, FaceTime calls with her family, and playing Crazy Eights. Before we move on to our next story, I just want to remind everyone that we have another online live show coming up next week. You can find out more about that at storycollider.org, but I will tell you that the theme is animals. Some of you may remember Catherine McDonald's amazing shark story from earlier this year. She will be back on the show with a brand new shark story, and you won't want to miss it. You can also find out more about our online storytelling workshops at storycollider.org. For those who complete our intro course, we're starting to offer electives like Gastor Almonte's upcoming class on bringing out the comedic moments of your story. So it's super fun. If you've got some time on your hands, if you're interested in developing your storytelling skills, we would love to have you in one of our workshops. And finally, the Storyclutter team has been hard at work throughout July and August developing a brand new series for this podcast. In a few weeks, we will be launching our series of COVID-19 stories from all across the spectrum of experience of this pandemic. I am really proud of the stories that we found so far, and I am so excited to share them with you. We've been asking folks all over the world, from New York to Louisiana to Canada to India to Brazil, to barricade themselves inside their walk-in closets or under blankets so we can try our best under the circumstances to get quality recordings for you, our listeners, of these fantastic, powerful stories. Stories that are really unlike any stories that we've ever shared on the podcast before. Not just because of the subject matter, because of the way we're recording them, but also because all of these stories took place so recently and the emotions are still so fresh and so raw. I'm so grateful to everyone who's contributed these stories so far, and we're not done yet. So if you have a story about your experience with the pandemic, whether it's as a researcher, a medical professional, a teacher, a parent, etc., you can still pitch us by emailing us at stories at storycliter.org. Our next story today is from Sam Dingman. It was recorded online in May 2020 in Sam's living room in upstate New York. The theme that night was one in a million. And you may hear his girlfriend, Adrian, laughing in the background. Hello, Adrian. So uh, it's a couple years ago. And my girlfriend invites me to her family reunion. And I'm very excited about this because my girlfriend does not yet know this, but I am planning to propose to her. And so I want to make a really good impression on the family. But there's a little bit of an issue with this, um, which is that her family is comprised primarily of what I like to call outside people, by which I mean people who like to spend time outside. Mm -hmm. I 
am an inside person. I work in radio and podcasting, which means that I spend almost all my time in rooms that are scientifically engineered to deny the existence of an outside world. <laughs> That's how much I like being inside. But it's really important to me to make a good impression on this family reunion. So I say to her, well, I would love to go. What are some of the activities going to be? And she says, well, we're probably going to do a lot of hiking. And I say, God damn it. <laughs> but I agree to go. And actually, when I get there, it, it starts off really well. Because it turns out that um, in addition to a large contingent of outdoorsy types, there's also a significant number of old wasps in a basement drinking martinis. And that is something I'm very good at. So I kick off the family reunion by hanging out with the wasps, sipping on the martinis, which they're very good at making. And we're having a spectacular time until uh, my girlfriend comes down and finds me in the basement two to four martinis in and says, hey, we're going to head out for that H-I-K-E. Do you want to get in on that? And I think to myself, Sam, you have an option in this moment. You can stay here and do the thing you're good at and make a good impression or you can go on the hike, at which you will almost certainly fail. <laughs> I think, no, nope. you know what? It's important. I need, to step, I need to step up here. So I say, let's hike it up, which I assume is the thing that hikers say. <laughs> so we set out on the hike, uh, and it, it starts off actually pretty well, kind of like the family reunion had. We get up to the top of this mountain. So I'm pretty excited because I don't know anything about hiking, but I assume getting to the top of a mountain is a goal. So we're up there at the top of the mountain, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, but all of a sudden things change for the worse and, and very abruptly. This giant bank of clouds rolls in, the sun disappears, it gets incredibly dark, and it starts to pour down rain. Thus is the hardest, most torrential rain I have ever ever been in. Now, for my girlfriend's family, no problem. These are outside people. <laughs> they are wearing hiking sandals. They are wearing waterproof pants. This is not an issue. I am wearing a blue button-down shirt just like this a pair of khaki pants, dress shoes, and a powder blue sport coat because I was trying to make a good impression. So thankfully, one of my girlfriend's cousins uh, has an umbrella. So he, he opens his backpack and he pulls out an umbrella and he says, would you like this? And I say, yes, there's only one way for me to look more ridiculous. Thank you so much. <laughs> so I put up this umbrella, and I, I look like the little girl on the front of that, uh, like those salt containers. Um, <sighs> and we begin making our way down the mountain. 
And as we do, all of a sudden I feel this thing, and I've never felt anything like this before. And, and this is the feeling. It's like the hand of God has reached out of the sky, grabbed the top of the umbrella, hoisted me into the air, and then thrown me to the ground. And this feeling is accompanied by a sound like this. And as I hear this sound, I look up and I see white light flashing by my periphery. And then I hear one of my girlfriend's other cousins say this phrase, and I will never forget this phrase. It, it, it really is locked in my memory. The phrase was, drop the fucking umbrella. And I throw the umbrella to the ground. There is smoke coming off the top of it. And I realize that I have just been struck by lightning. <laughs> now, when you are an inside person, something people say to you sometimes is, what are you, what are you afraid of going outside? <laughs> you think you're going to get struck by lightning? But I don't really have time to think about that in this moment, because in this moment, right after I realize that I've been struck by lightning, I'm, I'm overcome with this other thought that I wasn't expecting, which is I, I think I have to take care of my family. And I was completely surprised to have that feeling because until this moment, I had felt no connection with them and had been scared that that was never going to be something that could happen. But as soon as this has happened, I, I jump back up to my feet and I say, Every, everybody come here, everybody come here. And we, we run over into this little grove of trees where I imagine we'll be safe. And we all look at each other and we're like, what are we going to do? And none of us has an answer because what do you do in that moment except hope that you don't die? And thankfully, none of us did. But for that, just that split second, we, we really were together. And so thankfully, we, we get down to the bottom of the mountain without further incident. And afterwards, my girlfriend and I are, are sorting through this experience. And she uh, was a PhD student. Um, and so the first thing she did is, is look up the odds of how likely it is to get struck by lightning. Uh, and when we looked it up, the number we found was 1 in 15,300. And so while it is more common than winning Powerball or getting attacked by a shark, statistically, it's, it's almost meaningless. It's, it's like it, it, it's, it's just random. But much like I do not understand how to dress for a hike, I also don't understand numbers. I am a storyteller. I can only understand the world through stories. And when something like that happens, it rewrites your entire story. And you want that to mean something. Shortly after this, my girlfriend and I split up. And all of a sudden, it's not just the lightning strike that feels meaningless. Everything feels meaningless. I was preparing to make the entire remainder of my story intertwined with hers. And now that feeling has been replaced with this numbness. And I'm just walking around feeling nothing all the time. 
And so it, it's a short while after that, and I'm in a group of people, and I, I tell the story of getting struck by lightning. And at the end of it, this woman comes up to me, and she's an older woman, and she's kind of frail, and she grabs my forearm, and she says, are you a Buddhist? And I say, no. <laughs> What's about to happen? <laughs> and she says, listen to me. What happened to you is a blessing. It's called a darshan. You are a holder of light. And then <laughs> she disappears. <laughs> I'm not 100% convinced she was ever there. But I remember her saying this. And I realize, again, after another inexplicable incident, Sam, you have an option here. And that is to decide that what she has just told you is the lesson that you are supposed to learn from this lightning strike. Which is to say, that day when I went up to the top of the mountain, I was metaphorically, and it turns out literally, grabbing on to a lightning rod. I cared about this person so much that even though I had almost nothing in common with them, I wanted her family and all of their pockets and sandals to also be my family. And it didn't work out that way. But for a split second after the lightning strike, I got a little sense of how powerful that feeling might be. And I now know what I have to look forward to when that does happen with the right person. And so I have decided that from now on, whenever I have the option, no matter how much it hurts, I'm going to choose to hold on to the light. Thank you. Is Sam Dingman. Sam is the creator and host of Family Ghosts, a storytelling podcast about familial myths and legends, which has been hailed as a critic's choice by the New York Times, the LA Times, and NPR. Sam is a winner of the Moth Grand Slam, and his stories have been featured on the Moth Radio Hour, Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything, and Risk. We're so grateful to Sonia and Sam for sharing their stories with us. StoryClider is also so grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, with help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team and board. Stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Miriam Zeringholm, Shane Hanlon, Nissa Greenberg, and me, Aaron Barker. The podcast is edited by our podcast team, including Jun Chen and Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Beer Baron and Crowdcast for hosting these shows and to all of the families out there enduring this time apart from each other. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.